What's up, guys? This is the 404, the show for Atlanta sports fans to sound off on the latest in the 404 sports scene. I'm your host, Isaiah, and I'll be here to guide you through all the triumphs and the tragedies of sports around the 404. It won't always be pretty, but I can promise you it will be fun. So ATL, let's talk. How are you doing today, Atlanta? What is up? This is your boy, Isaiah Smith, coming at you today. It is July 1st, but bringing you a brand new episode of the 404 Forum, coming to you with an NBA free agency edition. Um, It is that time of year. It is arguably one of the most fun times of the NBA season that is on the NBA calendar. Free agency is upon us. Um, Teams can legally tamper, I guess. No deals can be officially finished or completed until um, I believe it is next week um, after July 4th or maybe it's next Thursday or Friday but I do have that week of kind of quote-unquote legal tampering where all the deals get done I still have questions about how a lot of these deals are getting done with like John Wall knowing he was going to the Clippers I mean the Clippers facility um, even before he's been officially um, I think released and bought out by the Rockets but whatever we're not going to go into the whole idea of NBA tampering um, before we get started I'm going to first tell you guys where to find me um, be sure to check me out check the show out on Facebook at, at the 404 forum that is t-h-e the number four the number zero f-o-r-u-m also check me out on twitter at the 404 forum also follow me personally at isaiah smith 30 um be sure to like the show tell me what you like about it what you don't like about it be sure to give me some topics uh, we want to have you on the show we'd love to hear from you so um be sure to also like and subscribe to the podcast on anchor spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts and listen to me you know weekly I guess we're gonna try to get back to a weekly rotation of the show but nonetheless be sure to like and subscribe there um but we're gonna go ahead and dive in head first we're gonna talk NBA free agency and that's all we're gonna talk about for today's show so it may be a quicker show but nonetheless I'm excited to kind of dig in and dive in and bring some some opinions and, and some and some insight there as well to what we're gonna see hopefully over the next you know week or 10 days kind of unfold to give us the lay of the land and give us what we're gonna be able to talk about going into this new NBA season so um usually w- with this time of year the prospect of what could happen is a lot more intriguing and exciting than what actually happens we have all these rumored deals and things that could happen and ways for teams to better themselves and make trades and all these outlandish trades and ways for for teams to acquire players we're going to talk about that in a little bit a little bit and I think you know where I may be going with this but that's what drives so much of the NBA talk and NBA news. You know, Blue Check Twitter has gone crazy over the past week and a half or so with speculation, with the rumors about certain players and certain deals that could get done or should get done or may not get done and things like that. Um, but already we've had some fireworks. We saw Kyrie Irving opt in but want out. We saw Kevin Durant be under contract but also want out. And I think this is just kind of the bow and ribbon on top of the Nets being a, putting on a 10-year-long clinic of front office incompetence if you look at it and think about first you had the trades um with boston that, that you know they they gave all those picks away to get an aging kevin uh, garnett and get um an aging paul pierce and make those moves when that boston team kind of broke up after they saw they weren't going to be you know better than, than lebron's heat in the eastern conference and they kind of committed to the rebuild and committed to brad stevens but the picks that that um that brooklyn gave up to get those aging former celtics turned into you know young stars jason tatum jalen brown and a couple other guys you know turned into uh, I think Jared Allen and um, you know some guys who are with the Cavs now so those picks have kind of have paid off and come to fruition and Boston used them to kind of you know go out and make some acquisitions do some different things and ultimately get to the point they are right now um, but you know losing you know then Brooklyn kind of reacquires their picks gets back to an even keel kind of level has a lot of the good things going for him with Kenny Atkinson with 
D'Angelo Russell with those teams, you know, kind of had a goon squad down in the bubble and was really looking to bounce back. And then boom, you lose all these picks in the James Harden deal. And so I applaud the ownership for having the stones to go for it, but I think that they've got to learn their lesson at a point, the organic build with, with smart calculated moves along the way as far and moves being trades with the smart calculated trades along the way. That's the way to sustain having sustained success long-term, I think. And we're seeing that more and more in this NBA with teams like the Warriors with Boston being able to kind of do what they've turned their picks and what we've seen them, you know, turn them into uh, Miami, making a couple of good free agent signings within drafting Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, and a lot of those guys who they've gotten off, you know, essentially the NBA draft scrap heap, um, you know, getting like Gabe Vincent and guys like that to come in and fill out their roster. But nonetheless, um, moving on from Brooklyn for now, at least, um, you know, Utah is acting really suspicious. If you've seen that really awkward Brian Windhorst video where he's got his pointer fingers in the air, it's really interesting. Um, but Utah's acting suspicious. Some people believe they're trying to rebuild around Donovan Mitchell. Some people think they're trying to rebuild as a whole. I'm leaning toward the whole rebuild idea because we know Danny Ainge is in Boston now. And we know what Danny Ainge did, like, like Brian Windhorst said. I don't like to use what Brian Windhorst says, but it makes sense. When Danny Ainge first kind of took over in Boston, he tore it down um, from the old big three. You know, Ray Allen left. He trade made the trades to get the assets and then, then kind of rebuilt it into what it is now, what Boston is now. And so I can see Utah trying to do something similar and Utah being a small market, having to kind of draft their guys and go after, you know, not being the biggest, most splashy free agent market. Um, I could see that kind of being a reality in a way they want to go. But, you know, Philadelphia, the Sixers look like they're reloading, added P.J. Tucker, a guy I kind of wanted to see in Atlanta. In, in a sense, wanted to see him in Atlanta, but also understand he's probably looking to go elsewhere and do some different things. But, you know, P, they added P.J. Tucker, added a couple of different guys, you know, Daniel House, added him. So they have, are going to have a solid roster. You know, James Harden opted out to free up some money to let the team do some different things. There's a weird relationship there between him and Daryl Morey and them having to be side by side. I don't know what it is. I don't understand it, but I hope it works out for him. Um, the Timberwolves also got better. Um, they, you know, adding Rudy Gobert, allowing Carl Anthony Towns to kind of play the four a lot of the time and then kind of, you know, close the game as the five but not to play the five the whole time and get, you know, take the beating that the five takes and, and him be able to kind of guard some more stretch fours and really be a stretch big himself and exploit some mismatches where he may have an advantage you know, where or wherever he may have an advantage, be at the post or on the perimeter, wherever it may be. And then also the Celtics are going for it. Adding Malcolm Brogdon for essentially a paperclip and a ham sandwich. That was such a good deal. Didn't give up any of their core. So they retain basically everything from that group that went to to the finals this past year. Going to come back with a season Tatum a season Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, going to have a little more experience as well. You're going to have Derek White back, I believe. Also, you're going to have, you know, going to have Malcolm Brogdon as, as, as a, a truer point guard maybe than Marcus Smart, definitely a secondary creator to be out there with the second unit. Hopefully Robert Williams gets healthy because, man, he's fun to watch. And then, uh, you know, Al Horford, I think, will be back with the team, you know, as well to kind of anchor the second unit. Grant Williams is a guy who gives them some kind of muscle and girth inside and kind of does some different, you know, really good things for them in the paint as a backup big. So they're going to have a very very good roster again look for Boston to be right there you know with with all that they've done but most importantly I think you know we're going this is kind of going to be the meat and potatoes of the show the buzzards are are swarming uh, if you will because as we know Kevin Durant has asked out Kyrie Irving is seemingly on his way out we guess um, that's another weird situation for a whole nother different podcast and a whole nother different day. So if you want to hear about that, I would suggest listening to the national guys, cause we're not going to focus on it, but the buzzards are swarming. People are trying to get the over the top view of what's going on with a bunch of different teams, with a bunch of different players, um, stars, even to see, to see who they could potentially put a package 
together for and make moves. Um, the phones are probably ringing off the hook in every front office, not just the Hawks or Brooklyn or wherever, but the phones are probably off the hook. It, it's a fun time around the NBA. So we're at the point now where the buzzards are swarming and kind of seeing what moves can exactly be made. And it's a fun time because all the phones are ringing off the hook. Every team is involved and active and wants to know what's going on, see what players may be available and who they can put a package together for. But at this point, you kind of have two categories of teams. You have teams looking to, to sell, to give up, you know, players, you know, you know, liquid assets, I guess you can call them, and acquire either younger assets or draft capital. And that usually signifies a rebuild or, you know, you have a team that's looking to, to acquire assets, liquid assets, meaning current players. You have a team looking to, you're trying to get, you know, veteran players, maybe younger veterans, but veteran guys nonetheless, who can help your team win right now. And so the Hawks are kind of in that latter category. They're looking to acquire more win now players than future assets. And that's a fun place to be. I'll go ahead and say, I, having been on both sides of that coin with the Hawks, it is a much more fun place to be in a position to try to think, okay, what moves can we make to either get into championship contention to Eastern, you know, in the top four of the Eastern Conference? What moves can we make to get there as opposed to what moves can we make to acquire the most assets to get us there in three to five, you know, seven, eight years? Um, and that, that's a that's just a really fun time. It's a fun time to be a, a sports fan, an NBA fan. And the Hawks have already kind of started making those moves. They're making, you know, what I think is a Essentially, you know, uh, I'm not going to call it a full-on championship move. It's not the move to put, give them get them to a championship, I don't think. But it is a move that is going to get them a step closer. It makes them much more competitive. It changes the lay and the changes the lay and the view of the Eastern Conference a little bit. But you know, they go out. If you haven't heard, they've gone out, made the move for Dejounte Murray, um, and ended up giving away, I believe, you know, a few first-round picks. Danilo Gallinari went over in the trade, um, but didn't give up any of their really true core pieces in the Dejounte Murray deal which is great. And, and, you know, Murray adds most of the things, I won't say all, but most of the things that the Hawks team has been looking for. He's a versatile two-way guard who goes beside Trey Young. Um, Murray wants to be in Atlanta. And maybe most importantly, you know, DeJounte Murray can create his own shot. That's that's the biggest thing. He can get out there. He can go one-on-one. You can put the ball in his hands, put him in screen and roll. And he can do a lot of the different things that, that there were, that only Trey could do for this team. And, you know, to be clear, a lot of people are, you know, some people are thinking this is a move like, you know, you're adding a Steph to to Trey Young's, or sorry, you're adding a Clay to to Trey Young, Steph Curry, a Golden State type of um type of type of reference there, but. This is a completely different move. Murray's not going to be doing what Clay Thompson does for Golden State. Yes, he will be the secondary playmaker and creator. Yes, he may take on the best perimeter matchup. So he'll do some of the similar things. But his game is completely different than Clay Thompson. It won't be the same type of feel. Won't be the same type of offense. It'll definitely be um, a different thing. But it is. But we do know that Trey Young now has a running mate in Atlanta, and that's the most important thing. But he brings a different element to this Atlanta offense that they didn't. They didn't have last year we know the team struggled they got stagnant when Trey Young was off the court they struggled to score because really no one could beat their defender called you know create mismatches create advantage situations and put the defense in a bind but that's not the case now that Murray's on the roster. He plays downhill. He can play fast. He does a lot of really good things for, for Atlanta. You know, the deep ball is not his strength. He, he's not only a 30, 
32, 33% uh, three-point shooter throughout his career, but that's okay. You know, if you surround him with Trey Young, Bogey Bogdanovich, um, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, those guys are going to be more than equipped to stretch the floor. And I just love the ferocity that he plays with. If you go back and watch some DeJounte Murray highlights from San Antonio, you're going to see how he's able to, like I said, create for himself, create for others. If you remember last year, averaged around, I think, nine assists um, and eight rebounds per game. So had a similar, you know, similar numbers to Trey Young. Um, and so even though we do love the addition, you know, I think there's still going to be some questions that people are asking. You know, people are saying, oh, who's the point guard going to be? Because uh, if you look at, you know, I think Sport Track last year had both Trey Young and DeJounte Murray listed as locking all of their minutes at, at the point guard position. Both played 100% of their minutes as the point guard. So I'm not sure how Nate McMillan's going to feel like he needs to play this. But I think this means that both of those guys are going to get some run at the point guard position. And it'll, I think who it'll be a game by game basis, not in a you go, I go type situation, but more of they're going to play it by ear. And it'll be indicative of how teams guard Trey Young. If teams are going to be more content to let Trey Young handle the ball and do what he needs to do, obviously, I think you want to keep the ball in Trey Young's hands as much as possible with him clearly being the best player on your team, even though you added another really, really good all star caliber player. However, uh, if teams want to take the ball out of Trey Young's hands, they want to double him, they want to get physical with him the way Miami did in the playoffs last year. I think at that point, that's when you'll see Murray take over and kind of run the show. Um, I think we'll definitely see uh, Murray put down some monstrous dunks over some help defenders. Um, when, you know, you see situations where Trey Young will get doubled out high in a pick and roll, um, he'll be able to go now to Murray, who's a guy who's looking to, you know, attack again, not looking to keep his feet set and knock down an open three, but really looking to catch the ball. If he doesn't have a wide open shot, put it on the floor, get to the rim. And then when he gets there, he's either going to be able to put it down on somebody's head or he's going to find an open, an open shooter or a lob or a dump pass to a big guy for a finish. So he, you know, Murray's able to beat his defender, you know, and attack, give that secondary attack that really does put defenses in a bind. And last year, you didn't have that as dynamically. Yes, Bogey can do it, but, you know, Bogey's, that's not his style. That's not his game. Herter could do it as well. But again, that's not his game and exactly what he wanted to do. And, you know, DeAndre Hunter has, has shown it in flashes, but again, not 100% of his game, not what he wants to do every time out there. So I'm looking, you know, forward to seeing Murray make those, you know, high lob passes to Clint Capella, Anyeka Kong. John Collins, um, because they're going to be there. They're going to be there for him, and, and he's going—he's the type of player that's intelligent enough and, and a good enough passer to make those plays and make the great kickouts to shooters and, and seeing guys, um, you know, knock down knock down shots. But I also think uh, the other, you know, good thing with Murray is he's the de facto backup point guard. Even though we did sign Aaron Holiday, you know, Dejounte Murray is going to get minutes with the second unit on the floor without Trey Young to get to run the show um, and you know, as it makes sense, because he is kind of the secondary creator on the team, uh, you know, average, you know, right at, I think, nine assists per game last year, like I said, with San Antonio, with honestly a less impressive supporting cast, pop, maybe playing a slightly better competition than he'll see this year. But hopefully, you know, this can kind of help them manage Trey Young's minutes a little bit more. Um, you may be able to see Trey Young take a load management night off in some cases or in a couple back-to-backs, not because, you know, Trey's incapable of playing back-to-backs, but just to kind of get him off his feet, help him rest, not make him have to log a full 82 just to keep this team 
close to the playoff line and get him into the play-in tournament. But still talking about Murray here, you know, I love the upgrade he brings defensively as well. He stands at 6'4", 6'5", got a 6'10 wingspan. He can take the other team's best guard in the way that we say we see Klay Thompson kind of do in Golden State, which is great, um, you know, especially with the long arms. A 6'10 wingspan really makes it tough, really makes him a versatile defender, gets his hands in a lot of passing lanes, a lot of deflections that are kind of a hidden stat as well. But with him being able to take the other team's best, you know, perimeter or one of their better perimeter players, it adds another good defender to go with DeAndre Hunter. And he's a switch, you know, a switchable guy who can jump around, make life tough. Like I said, on opposing teams, guards, especially point guards, make it tough for them to get into their, into their offense and get into the flow of what they want to do offensively. But before you had, you know, a smaller, less defensively capable Trey Young, who wasn't able to provide as much resistance. But if you remember Murray led the league in steals per game last season, hopefully that stays that that facet and aspect of his game stays once he gets comfortable in Nate McMillan's scheme, of course. And I think that can get, you know, Atlanta two or three more transition opportunities per game and hopefully, you know, four to six more points, um, you know, four to six more quality shots and possessions. And I hope this allows the Hawks to run a little bit more. They were kind of a slower paced team last year, really more deliberate in the half court. And I don't think that played to all of their strengths all the time because they were a younger team and were going against a lot of set defenses. Um, with this group, with adding Murray, you're a very athletic front line. Trey Young, Murray, um, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Clint Capella, Anyeka Kongu when he's out there. That's a pretty athletic group and a pretty young and spry group. They're going to really want to run the floor. And I think it will, will definitely help them out because they have the, the bouncy big guys who are the lob threats, not so many back to the basket, post up, you know, three bounces, hook shot type guys. They have the bouncy bigs that want to have the space and are, you know, be vertical spacers. So I think that can that can kind of play to your strength in transition there, especially with Anyeka Kongwu, or when you go small and maybe put DeAndre Hunter at the four, if you ever want to do that. And, you know, I think also in transition can be some of the best times to shoot the three. You can get a lot of rhythm looks there. Trey Young can break the defenses back when he's in rhythm and pulls up um, because he's out there yo-yoing with the basketball. You don't know if he's going to, you know, keep going full steam and, and get to the paint or if he's going to stop on a dime, pull up and, and knock down a 30 footer. So I think you get a lot of rhythm looks there. You can steal momentum and, and also, like I said before, just the basic idea that, you know, when you play against a team before they get their defense set, they don't communicate as well. You can they don't know where the help may need to come from. Um, and you have a higher chance of, of forcing mistakes, forcing miscues and, and getting easy buckets. And, and if you're Atlanta, I think that's one of the keys. You got you got to find those easy buckets and, and every NBA team has to find those easy buckets. And so my last point to say about, you know, DeJounte Murray's acquisition before we move into another um, another topic of conversation around free agency for the Hawks um, it is the idea and the fact, I guess it's a fact now, that, that maybe is one of the most important and I think maybe one of the most fun takeaways as well is that Trey Young can recruit. He can go out. He can go to these, you know, big NBA events, the All-Star game, the, the whatever event it is, and, you know, be around those guys. He's not, you know, people, I think there was this idea that Trey Young was kind of a gruff competitor and, and he wasn't super friendly and a lot of guys that want to come play with him that kind of thing but I think you know with the competitive there's competitiveness there's also a personable guy behind there and so um, it shows that he can recruit he can go out obviously Trey Young has friends throughout the league um, you know him and Michael Porter Jr. played you know AAU ball together and you know obviously he's spent a lot of time in in basketball circles so uh, if you've heard the story about how you know Murray and Trey Young kind of kind of met and got close you know they met at the all-star weekend last year when Murray was an all-star and Trey was also an all-star they've been kind of talking about teaming up for the past two or three weeks and you 
know, I personally was a little worried when, you know, news first broke that, that, you know, he, Murray didn't want to sign an extension with the Spurs. And I thought, okay, well, you know, did the Hawks kind of take on a deal that San Antonio knew they weren't going to be able to keep. And Murray has, you know, these, the a pipe dream of being in LA or New York or somewhere like that. And he just couldn't get there. So this is a stop on the way, but, but that's not the case, you know, reading about him and Trey Young's relationship, those guys are both really excited to play together, really excited to see what the Hawks can become and see how they can both help the team. I know Trey Young's ecstatic um, to have just another playmaker, another guy who's, you know, close to his skill level when it comes to making plays and breaking down the defense. So I think that that's very exciting. Um, it's a very exciting time and a very exciting thing, I think, for Hawks and Hawks fans. And so I don't want to run too crazy with the idea that Murray's going to put, you know, Atlanta right into the top four, right in a championship contention. But I do think that he puts them firmly into the above the playoff line, above the play-in line, and definitely, you know, puts his team in a position to compete against whoever they see in a first-round series, maybe even win a first-round series, you know, if they finish high enough. And then, you know, definitely make some noise into the second round of the playoffs. So it's exciting. It'll be exciting to see how, you know, he gets used. I don't want to get into the the whole idea of coaching and, and usage there because Nate McMillan, you know, there are plenty of questions about Nate McMillan. Plenty of people have their doubts about Nate McMillan and whatever. But, you know, I'm going to trust that he can make this work because the fact of the matter is if he can't, I don't, I don't know what his job status looks like this time next year if he isn't able to find a way to make DeJunte Murray and, and Trey Young work together and, you know, be successful and, and win, a few, win a few more games than last season. But – you know, speaking of moves the Hawks have made, going to kind of jump along here. Um, you know, another maybe more surprising move for a lot of, I think, Hawks fans and myself personally wasn't expecting to hear it and see it, at least, you know, as a singular entity, but is the Kevin Herter trade. It was a bit surprising. And so a lot of people are still trying to figure out what to make of it. A lot of the, the folks in town think that um, this is part of a bigger move. The Hawks are trying to do something else. Maybe there's a free agent they won't really want to get that would cost too much, too much money. They don't get rid of, you know, Herter's contract. Maybe there's a trade they want to make and they need to have these other contracts on the books to be able to fill the roster out, those types of things. And we'll get to some perspective options there. But, you know, the trade for Herter, if you haven't heard, was, you know, the Hawks sent Kevin Herter um, and they received Mo Harkless, Justin Holiday, and, you know, a future highly protected first round pick that'll probably turn into a couple second rounders. But for me, I think it was a smart move. Um, the Hawks had a few open roster spots with the Gallinari trade. You know, DeLon Wright left for Washington um, with, for, uh, you know, some more money, which is obviously perfectly fine. Wish him the best there. Um, but, you know, with those guys leaving, you have two open roster spots you need to fill. And so you add Justin Holiday. Um, and Mo Harkless and so you kind of get two guys for one plus a pick plus you save three million dollars and both of those guys are rotation caliber guys also just to make a note the Hawks do now have two of the three Holiday brothers on their team so I don't think the the move of Herder was to acquire Drew um, the third Holiday brother but it would be fun to be able to have all three but nonetheless you know you hate to see Kevin Herter go but I do understand the move like I said he was about a 14 million dollar guy and you have three guys with his skill Said essentially, um, when you think about, um, you know, bogey, and then you think about also having um, adding DeJounte Murray, you have three guys that kind of play that same shooting guard position. So it's going to be a bit of a log jam there because none of them are able to bump down to play small forward. And you don't want to play with, you know, 
a small guard who's not a great defender and then also play with another guard who's just not fleet of foot and not a great defender. And then Murray, who has that much more pressure. And then you got to also play another really good, you know, defender behind them or two more good defenders, really. And that could hamper you offensively if you're trying to play a lineup with a Kongu and Capella and then Murray and then Trey Young and another shooter. I think that could hamper you a little bit. So I, I do understand the move, like I said. But obviously, you know, Bogey makes more than, than Kevin Herter. I think Bogey's deal is around 16 or $17 million. But Herter's the asset. And, and you could get more for a younger guy who's still budding, who's still growing um, as an NBA player. Um, and it's a, it's a win for the Hawks because – they didn't just take dead contracts for the pick. You didn't just get cash or you didn't just get um, contracts of guys who you're going to immediately cut. You got, you know, like I said, two rotation caliber guys who can fit in on your roster. And you also save yourself about $3 million to go out and add some someone else. You know, I think looking at it, Travis Schlink maybe thought that $14 million was a little bit of a high price to pay for guys like for a guy who plays a position where you know it's three deep at the position and you know you were going to have some competition for who was going to be able to fit into the roster at shooting guard um, and be in the rotation but also I think you know some people didn't feel like Kevin Herter progressed as quickly as they'd hoped he didn't you know take that next step after a pretty good eastern season with the year they went to the eastern conference finals um two seasons ago and not to say he's been bad or was even bad last season uh, i just think it, it it was an opportunity to get some assets to free up a little more cap space and add some more movable or even cheaper contracts and the other side of that is kevin herter makes sacramento better uh, you know i wish him the best out there and hopefully they can sneak into the playoffs um but a lot like i said a lot of the working logic is that this move of herter is to set up a bigger move in Atlanta and I'm 50-50 on that I don't know obviously the front office does such a good job of kind of hiding their hand the, the DeJounte Murray news didn't really break until you know maybe a not even a week maybe three to four days before it was really time for the wheels to start moving and because everyone thought that the Hawks were going in different directions maybe they're going to stand pat maybe they're not going to make any moves after the draft um, but no, they they did stick their nose in there and, and were able to come away with with a, a really good trade. I feel like you know that some people some people some national guys are saying you know the Hawks overpaid. They paid too much for Murray. I don't think you did. I, I think you get the, that's the price of business to get your guy, and that's just the way it is. But to to talk about some bigger moves, another move to be made on the back of Kevin Herter. Um, Let's just, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. You know, do the Hawks have a realistic shot of landing Kevin Durant? We talked about it at the beginning of the show that he has said that he wants out. He doesn't want to be in Brooklyn anymore. The buzzards are, that's his, you know, around Brooklyn, that's mostly where the buzzards are swirling um, around Brooklyn and seeing, monitoring the status of, of Kevin Durant, figuring out who's offering what, trying to put their best offer in. Um, the Kevin Durant market looks a lot like the housing market right now. It's ultra competitive. Everybody wants into it. Um, but unfortunately, he's the the big fancy house on the hill that only one person is going to get, and it's going to be the highest bidder. It's probably going to be a, a bidder who pays cash or, in this case, has a lot of assets. So, so nonetheless, um, looking at teams around the league who have a shot to land him, you know, the Toronto's kind of lurking around and, and playing kind of coy with this. And so I and Masai Ujiri is a really good general manager, is a really good, you know, president of basketball operations and runs that franchise so well. It wouldn't surprise me if they got into the Kevin Durant sweepstakes, but I could also see them saying, no, the price is too high. We don't really want to be be in this and backing away and keeping their young assets and continuing to build and being a borderline, you know, a fringe playoff team for the next few years before Scotty Barnes kind of comes into his own and some of those other guys. But 
I think Toronto's got a really good shot to, to land it. If you think about sending Scotty Barnes, who was the rookie of the year, has, you know, a super, super high ceiling, maybe another young player, another one of those young, long wings that they have with kind of the mold of their team, and send a few picks, Toronto can keep a lot of that core intact and be one of the favorites to win the NBA title with Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Precious Achua, and again, keeping if they can keep a couple of those longer young wings on their team, they'll be pretty good. And the plus side is it's this isn't a Kawhi Leonard-like trade. Obviously, the price for Kawhi was much lower because he was on a much shorter deal, only going to be there for one year guaranteed. Kevin Durant's going to be – we think, let, let's put it, we think Kevin Durant will be wherever his next destination is for three to four years until his contract expires. So if you think about that and you can keep that young core intact, you know Fred Van Vliet signed long-term. I believe Ananobi's locked in. Siakam's locked in. Precious Achua wouldn't cost that much to re-up with, I don't think. Um, and then you have Durant. You've got a solid young core right there up north in Toronto that's going to be ready to compete in the East with the Bostons, with the Phillies, with the Miamis, with the Atlantas, hopefully. Um, for the next three to four years, you're going to have that and be in a really good situation barring injury. Um, but, you know, knowing Masai Ujiri, he's going to keep his ears and eyes open, obviously. But if the price gets too high, he knows he's in a good place with his team's rebuild. He knows Scotty Barnes is a player. He knows that the assets they acquire, they're going to draft well. He knows they're going to get good players in. If another opportunity for a big-time trade approach it, or presents itself, he may take it later down the road. But building for sustained long-term success is, is kind of the direction I think they want to go. Um, and also looking at Kevin Durant, you know, his, his entire situation – it's different than Kyrie's because, you know, Durant is really in a position to say where he wants to go um, because he's got so much team control. Um, unlike Kyrie, who is trying to force him, him himself to places, but it's just really, it's really weird. And with the salary and him making 37 million, how does anyone make that work? And very few teams are even interested in him at that price. Very few teams were interested in him at the mid-level exception. So let alone at that price, but, you know, I think for Kevin Durant, he's got to evaluate where he wants to go. And quite frankly, there's there's no better place than Atlanta. Atlanta's situation-wise, maybe not with what Brooklyn can get in return, because Brooklyn's going to want to return, but situation-wise for Kevin Durant, Atlanta's got to feel like a pretty good place. You know, of the teams that he's listed and said he wants to go to, we'll talk about them first. Phoenix is good. But are Kevin Durant and Devin Booker alone good enough to make it through the West consistently for the next three to four years um, if, you know, Phoenix has to give up, obviously, or Michael Bridges, um, Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton in the trade? And then what if Chris Paul hangs it up after this season, too? That, to me, is the biggest if because you're, you're losing – maybe the best floor, floor general in basketball there um, as far as just being a leader and helping to kind of, you know, right the ship when things, when things go left, he can keep get, get it back on track. But, you know, to me, it seems kind of bleak if Chris Paul leaves. I know he's not the Chris Paul of five, eight years ago that was dynamic and doing, doing all these things, but, you know, I think Durant and Booker would be fun to watch and definitely be maybe the two best scorers in the game playing together. Um, they'd be competitive, but I don't know if it's, still a maximum level of competitiveness that they, you know, could could be at. And so moving kind of to the next team, the Heat, I don't think the Heat have the ability to move the asset that's most coveted by teams. And that the asset that I think Brooklyn is most interested in would be Bam Adebayo. Um, the rumor is Durant, if he goes to Miami, wants to play with Kyle Lowry, wants to play with Bam and, and Jimmy and those guys. So 
I'm not sure that that deal can get done without a third team kind of swooping in and, and providing maybe an extra player or, or something like that. So that is also kind of a, a hookup with Miami and maybe Miami's going to do what I posit that Atlanta does later. Um, but, but Miami doesn't feel like they have the ability to put it all together, even with Tyler hero, even with some of their young pieces that are good, but just aren't, they're more good rotation guys than your good, you know, role players than, a budding star, quite frankly, if, if the budding star on the team, I think is out of bio and that's how a lot of people around the league feel. And so that's the way it'll be. So after that, you know, you've got, like I said, you know, other, the rest of the league essentially is interested in Kevin Durant, but to me, it doesn't make a ton of sense for the, the teams that will be trading people away. The Celtics, yes, it's a splashy move. Yes, it puts you right at the front of the betting odds to win the NBA title, but you know, why go get a guy that you just proved that your young core can beat handily? You know, why go get that guy? You, you know, they, you swept Kevin Durant in the, in the in the first round. So I don't think that's a move and moving on from, you know, uh, Jalen Brown and that kind of thing. Um, Portland, they could make a move, but do they have the assets? You're already paying Dame so much. You're paying, you know, Jeremy Grant, Yusuf Nurkic. You're paying a couple guys, so you're going to have to move on from probably one. So just what does that look like for Portland? OKC can make the move with their picks and then maybe toss in Chet Holmgren, another another young piece. But, you know, Oklahoma City seems content to rebuild. You know, Presti is from that. I believe that San Antonio or either San Antonio or Boston, where he know, understands and knows the process of rebuilding um, through the draft and getting good players and things like that. Um, Minnesota's intriguing, but Minnesota just gave up the farm for uh, for Rudy Gobert. So uh, that, you know, that obviously is not going to work. And then the Nets, I think if you're you're the Nets, you have to call the Clippers. Because if you remember a, a few seasons ago, Kawhi Leonard actually called Kevin Durant to come play with him in Los Angeles before he called, called Paul George. You know, if you remember that whole summer free agency after the Raptors won the title, Kawhi went to the Clippers. And then um, he, you know, the rumor was he called Kevin Durant and Durant said, no, I'm going to Brooklyn. So after KD goes to Brooklyn, you know, with the Achilles injury, obviously, then, you know, Kawhi calls a second second option, a side piece, whatever you want to call him. And Paul George, who's in Oklahoma City, and says, hey, Paul, you want to come to L.A.? Paul, Paul George says, yeah, and forces his way out of Oklahoma City. Um, you got to see what a Paul George-centered package could look like, because I think you have to understand, um, even though the Clippers are good with the core they have, Kevin Durant is an upgrade of Paul George, if he's your you know star or secondary star, however you want to look at that situation with Kawhi. Um, Kevin Durant is an upgrade over Paul George, period. Um, Paul, and Paul George is a phenomenal player, but that's just the, the facts, um, which now brings me back to the Hawks and, and what they have to offer. Initially, it's not going to be the most glamorous package. I, I think, you know, Toronto could put together a better package. Maybe Orlando with picks. Um, you know, some other teams will have better packages with picks and potentially even players. Um, but this may be the best package that a GM is willing to make and follow through with. Um, and, and I think if you were, were to go Hunter Collins, three to four first round picks, and you're going to have to be creative with how you do those and with some pick swaps. And then um, also with some other things going on there. But I think, you know, I think that's going to, that could be a strong package. I know the Nets are asking for a load of first round draft picks, but realistically two or three, I think is what they're going to get. People are saying, you know, the Hawks gave up their ideal KD package when they moved, you know, the picks for DeJounte Murray, DeJounte Murray excuse me. Um, but the Hawks still have 
enough to make a move for Kevin Durant. I think they just may have to sit in waiting until some other suitors fall out because the asking price maybe is too high. And then when the Nets ownership circles back to some of those original offers, because it always seems like in these trade discussions, if you remember the Harden deal and, um, you know, even back to some others, if you think of, I always remember these trade discussions. Um, it starts with offers seem really, really high. And you say, man, it seems like a good offer. That seems like a good offer. And then, you know, then you start, you know, it leaks out a little bit more. And then the trade's finally made. And then you hear after the fact that so-and-so offered this ridiculous package for a player. And it's like, if that was offered, why didn't they, why didn't they take it instead of the, the, the three second round picks they got for a player like, like James Harden or, or something like that. You know, it always seems like GMs hold out just a second too long. They, they hold us a second too long trying to get a little bit more and then end up with, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a lot less. And, and so it's just an interesting, going to be an interesting way to see a pop plays out. I don't know that a player like Kevin Durant's ever been traded before. A player like Kevin Durant's ever wanted out of his contract with four years left. So it's a very unique situation. Maybe it is going to set some type of market for disgruntled superstars who want out of Supermax contracts um, with, with three or four years left on their deals. But nonetheless, you know, like I said, the Hawks, the national guys are questioning DeJounte Murray or questioning, you know, the, what they did to make that move. I still think the Hawks are in a good position if they want to make a move for another star or a high, very highly paid player that could, you know, be, it would be considered a star. And so it kind of brings me to my next point with the Hawks is the clearing of the Kevin Herter cap space, you know, is the clearing of that cap space for maybe another player, the Brooklyn Nets employ. Um, and I'm going to throw this out here and I, I'm, this is, has not been discussed or brought up, but the Hawks have been in on this player before, but is the, the quote unquote bigger move behind the herder trade for Ben Simmons, you know, cause if you're the Nets, it, it, once you move Durant and Kyrie Irving, do you want to build your franchise around, you know, Ben Simmons, or do you just want to set the place on fire? You know, put, you know, put it out, save the city, let the insurance company come in and, and cut you a check for the value of the building and do your best to, to rebuild again. I think your best bet, you know, knowing that what Ben Simmons has been over the past year or two years and not playing for a year, we, we don't know. We don't know what Ben Simmons is right now. We know he's making a lot of money and we know he hadn't played, didn't hadn't played in a year. Um, we know he passed up that layup over Trey Young, but that's about all we remember and know about Ben Simmons. And so we don't know what he's going to be coming back from the back injury and things like that. Um, and Ben hope he can regain form wherever he is, but, there's a lot of speculation and guessing in Ben Simmons to the Hawks, but the working idea I think is, is that if you can't get the Kings ransom for Kevin Durant, if you're the Nets, you know, if you do wait just a second too long on pulling the trigger, you've got to try to get some, uh, some more assets and use what you've got. And Ben Simmons say what you will about him having not played in, in a year is an asset and would get you a pretty high, high price. You can't overvalue him, but you could still get some very good players. So um, Simmons, I think makes sense. If you want to move on from, from Deandre Hunter and John Collins, you know, you add those two plus something, a pick or two, and you have, you know, Simmons play the three or the four in the lineup and kind of be, you know, a, a secondary facilitator as well. You have Trey, DeJounte Murray, Ben Simmons, Capella, Bogey, not, a, that's not a terrible lineup. That lineup will, will hold up. You have a very talented lineup. You have a very solid lineup defensively. I do worry a little bit about the spacing with that unit because, you know, DeJounte Murray is a good shooter, but not an elite shooter. Um, Simmons and Capella aren't shooters. So you, you 
have to maybe, you know, work and try to add a little more offensive pop and then, or maybe even use Simmons in a Giannis style role uh, and try to just play faster. But, you know, Ben Simmons, I think, is a name to keep your ears out for. And don't be surprised if you hear him involved in rumors or teams checking up on him. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it's just a thought because he's been his name's been so prevalent over the past, you know, year in so many trade discussions and conversations. I think we would be a little it would be a little nearsighted, I think, to think that the Nets are just content to get whatever they get from Durant and Irving. And then we're just going to play with Ben Simmons and it'll be fine. Um, And maybe they will. Maybe that's what they'll say. Ben Simmons, I think, is still a very good NBA player. But I just think that if you're asking for all these picks and, and, um, you know, and and these different types of things, not to say they're going to be in full on tank mode, but I think your idea has to be we're going to kind of at least tear it back down to a point and try to rebuild from there with these picks we acquire, with these young players, let them develop, give them time. Um, and so moving on from Kyrie Irving, if you are to get a young point guard back, you know, a, a guy who you see as the future of your franchise at that position, Ben Simmons is also a point guard. So it kind of begs the question of what do you do there? You know, how is Ben Simmons going to hamper the growth of a young guy that you potentially get back? So um Looking out, you know, around, I, I think there, there's got to be some thought there, but who knows if it if it comes to fruition? Who knows if if anyone's going to make a move on it? So, nonetheless, kind of getting back to the Hawks and, and off the speculation buzz because it's fun to speculate. That's what this whole free agency period is about. It's fun speculation, fun to think about what could happen and what could be. But thinking about the Hawks and realistic things that could happen, you know they still got to fill out the roster. There's still some, some pieces they have to fill that I think they're going to have four or five open roster spots um, with, you know, moving on from Gallo, the herder trade, you did add two more guys. So you kind of got a two for one there, but I think the, the need for the Hawks, if you want to just say, we're going to, this is the last big move is DeJounte Murray. What do you, what do we need to round out this roster to make it competitive and, and continue make, you know, being a team in playoff contention. I think the priority has to be depth and girth. Um, beyond the big fish out there. And so when I say depth and girth, I mean, you know, tough guys, guys that can play inside, they're going to beat people up, aren't afraid to pick up a flagrant foul or two, aren't afraid to, you know, stand up for Trey Young. You know, I think DeJounte Murray's got a, a little bit of dog in him and, and you're not going to push him around, but teams can still kind of get out there on the perimeter and physically, you know, rough Trey Young up. So a guy who's going to kind of stand in there and, and be, I guess, bodyguard protector and also provide some resistance in the paint. Um, Bobby Portis was a name I loved, but obviously he, I knew he would be too expensive for the Hawks taste and Milwaukee values him way too much after what he did on their championship run and has done over the past two, two to three seasons for them. Um, you know, Bobby Portis is the idea, one of the ideal guys. He's still young enough to, to really pack a punch. Um, you know, obviously Draymond Green is one of the, the better tough guys in the league, PJ Tucker, those type of guys. But if you look around the league, what were some quality bigs you can bring in? I think Blake Griffin could be a solid backup big if we if the thought is still that he can play and, and get minutes. You know, in Brook, he was in Brooklyn last year and got hardly no minutes in the in the playoffs down the stretch of the season, but I think Blake Griffin still may have a little bit in the tank and could be a quality backup big. He's not the same guy he was coming out of Oklahoma dunking over everybody, but Blake Griffin can still play. He's developed his outside shot. He can, you know, play make well enough for a guy his age and size and and can, you know, still give you max effort on the, on the defensive end. And I think that's a positive for, you know, a power forward that you may have. Um, and then also looking around Taj Gibson as a guy who can play power forward or center, um, I think would, probably be used more as a center and then also Markeith Morris kind of a goon squad type guy was was with Miami last year and so would be interesting to see just how 
how that may play out if those two guys are available or guys like that are available. And then Montrez Harrell, a guy I like Montrez Harrell a lot. I was very interested in him um, coming, you know, he being in Charlotte after the trade from the Lakers and then being a free a free agent this year. But I'm just unsure with the the, the charges that that are potentially going to come against him. Um, in, in the coming months or weeks or whatever it may be for, I think, guns and illegal drugs. So um, however that plays out is probably going to dictate his, uh, his free agent market for that matter. So, um, you know, I think the biggest takeaway, though, is that it's hard to find quality muscle to go along with, with, your, with your team. I mean, there are only a few guys who fit the mold of a Blake or excuse me, that fit the mold of a Draymond Green or um, a P.J. Tucker or a Bobby Portis. Those guys are – Anyone can't go out and play that role. Those guys are in high demand and moderately low supply. So it's important to find them, get them, bring them in, and keep them there. Keep them there when you have them because you don't just they don't grow on trees. So um, also when you look at you know kind of some shooting guard or guard depth, if you want to look at wings and guards, you're kind of down to scraping the barrel of the, the bottom of the barrel in the wing market. Um, Bryn Forbes, Jeremy Lamb. Um, those are some of the names that stick out. So maybe they're trying to look off, pull off another trade to kind of find whatever the backup player or the second second unit player may look like at the small forward or on the wing. But also you've got Jalen Johnson. You, you brought in Mo Harkless. Both of those guys can play that position. So hopefully there, there's a resolution there. Someone takes that job and, and whatnot. So it is um, – it, it, it'll it'll work itself out. I think it's going to work itself out. It's going to be a fun time. It's going to be interesting. So um, that is all we have for the free agency edition. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. I hope um, that I have planted some seeds to to think about, to hope for, um, for the upcoming, you know, days and weeks around the Hawks. Um, also, with, you know, I know we're approaching 4th of July. You think, oh, the news is going to taper off after maybe, you know, Saturday, Saturday evening. It's not. Um, we're going to be getting um, updates on this into July 4th, beyond July 4th, all in the next week. Um, I believe it was on, like, July 4th when the – when the Clippers barricaded themselves in DeAndre Jordan's house and wouldn't let him sign with the Mavs. Um, so it, it it's all going to come all through the weekend. Don't be surprised if you get a, get a Kevin Durant update about his, about a trade or a Kyrie Irving trade um, while you're eating a plate of, of, of good, you know, cookout food on July 4th, about two or three o'clock, or you wake up from a nap and, and find out that Durant has, has moved. So just keep your eyes peeled for that. It's going to, it's a fun time. No one can predict it truthfully as much as the people on the quote unquote inside think they can. No one can. So it's kind of like watching the weather. Um, just enjoy it for what it is and make the most of it. And if your team gets lucky, celebrate it for as long as you can because it's not going to last forever. So I appreciate all you guys for listening again. Please check me out on social media. I'm on Facebook, that is the 40 Forum. Also on Twitter at the 40 Forum. Also follow me at Isaiah Smith30. Also be sure to like and subscribe. Thank you very much. I will be back next week. Next week we're going to hop into a little more talk about the Braves. Um, the Braves are still smoking hot going into you know this last stretch here before the All Star break. I'm going to talk about the Braves. Going to talk about a little bit of college football as well. College football, the landscape is shifting and changing, and it's going to be an interesting discussion. So you do not want to miss it. Going to talk about some NIL, going to talk about some of the way the way that some of these conferences are consolidating. So um, be sure to tune in for that and also going to talk some dogs as well. So appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you very much. Hope you have a great weekend. Have a very safe and fun holiday and I'll talk to you next week.